Hi everybody and welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. Is peace possible in the Middle East? Do we know the way? How can we know the way? Have we had peace there before? No, not really. What did Jesus have to say about peace and how it will come? After all, he's the Prince of Peace, isn't that right? Well, yes it is. Let's flip on over to Isaiah chapter 59. Here's what it says in the NLT. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and not listened. He will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are the filthy ones filled with sin. Your lips are full of lies, and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and then give birth to sin. They hatch deadly snakes and weave spiders' webs. Whoever falls into their webs will die, and there's danger even in getting near them. Their webs can't be made into clothing, and nothing they do is productive. All their activity is filled with sin, and violence is their trademark. Maybe that's the mark of the beast. Sin and violence. Verse 7, Their feet run to do evil, and they rush to commit murder. Know anybody like that? I do. They think only about sinning, misery, and destruction are always following them. They don't know where to find peace or what it means to be just and good. They have mapped out crooked roads, and no one who follows them knows a moment's peace. You want peace for your lifetime? How about only for a moment? They don't even know how to follow that or find it. Verse 9, So there is no justice among us, and we know nothing about right living. We look for light, but find only darkness. We look for bright skies, but walk in gloom. We grope like the blind walking along a wall feeling our way like people without eyes. Even the brightest noontime is where we stumble as though it were dark. Among the living, we are like the dead. Among the living, we are like the dead. We growl like hungry bears. We moan like mournful doves. We look for justice, but it never comes. We look for rescue, but it is far away from us. Well, just how far away from us is it? Where and when will we have peace? Verse 12, For our sins are piled up before God and testify against us. Yes, we know we are sinners. We know we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. Is that not what's happened in America and really all over the world in every single country? Yes. 
We know how unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful lies. Our courts are opposed to righteousness, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked at this and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them. With his strong arm and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the west, people will respect the name of the Lord, and in the east, they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide, driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. This is verse 21, Isaiah chapter 59. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. I want to flip on over to Romans chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 8. And some people even slander us by claiming that we say we, or um, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Now he's talking about the difference between the Jews and those who have converted to Christianity. In other words, really believe in Jesus and follow him instead of Judaism. Verse 9, Well then, should we conclude that the Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. We all are sinners, every last one of us. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. We have all become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. 
So who then will save us from this body of death that we have here? Does that remind you of any scripture? Let's continue in verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, Jew or Gentile. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous through Christ. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. It's not like we didn't sin, no, but we deserve the penalty. Instead, Jesus took it for us. Continuing in verse 25, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did, did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he did, himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Verse 28, So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. It's not we ourselves that gain our salvation, We can't do it. We have to have a mighty Savior who was God, who emptied himself to become like us and taste death once for all. Verse 29, After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we fully fulfill the law. In chapter 4, in verse 3, the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and, ca- and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And so it is for you and me today. And what a joy it is to know that God has cleared our record of sin. It's over. It's gone. It's done. If we accept him and believe in Jesus. It's a matter of our choice. Do we choose to accept the faith he's trying to give us? In verse 13 he says, Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. 
And so it is with you and I. But it's only when Jesus returns to the earth that peace will come. We don't know how to bring it ourselves. And we're going to prove that through World War III, unfortunately. So what's the answer? How can we get there? Well, we can only get there when Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes, stops the war, undoes the damage, and sets up his kingdom. Now, isn't that what Jesus himself talked about more than any other subject? What were all his parables about? Well, they were about the kingdom of God and him as its king. We don't take it that way anymore. We, we just don't believe that he's returning. We don't believe that he's coming. Or even if we do, we don't realize that he's not coming to snatch us away and take us to heaven where we'll be set on a shelf forever in eternal blissful retirement and doing nothing for the rest of our lives. Is that what you want, really, truly? Not me. I think God has much, much bigger plans for us than that. So let's get into that a little bit. Let's flip on over and to see what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 43. Actually, let's start in verse 42. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in their towns too, because that's why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in the synagogues throughout Judea. The good news is that we have a king, a king God. God is king. And that God is Jesus. He's not the only person in the, uh, the realm of God. There is God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. And then there's the angels and the elders and all of the host of heaven. But let's see what it says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Now this is the way to peace. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other also. If someone demands your coat, give him your shirt too. Give to anyone who asks and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That is the way to peace. These things are very easy to say. They're very easy to read, but very difficult to actually go out and do, especially on a continual, ongoing basis. If they keep pounding and pounding at us, it's harder and harder, not easier and easier to love them. But what do the scriptures say about that? In Proverbs, for example, 
Here it is in Proverbs 25 and verse 21. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. Now, why? Why would the Lord reward me for doing that? Well, consider what it does. If you give your enemies food, they, you are showing them love. And they will accept that and see that. What about when you give water? Same thing. The burning coals they may be talking about here are the shame that they feel because they had persecuted you or made trouble for you. But instead, you loved them back in return. What that does is it turns your enemy into a friend. And isn't that better? Have you ever had that experience? I have. And it's kind of a, a joy, really. It is, it is amazing. It's not always easy to do. Guarantee you that. But to be kind to someone who hasn't been kind to you makes a change in the other person. It truly does. That is a way to peace. Now, can we do that without God? Answer, no, not really. God's Spirit must be working, and so must we. We must work at it. It's not easy to do this. It's not easy to love one's enemy and give things that we need to them. So, I recommend that we all try that more often. I don't do it every day. I don't do it hardly at all. But I should, and I want to try to. Is the kingdom of God around the corner? And is that really what's going to cause peace to develop on the earth and to grow and to spread worldwide? Will peace come everywhere on the planet? Will the whole earth be at rest and at peace? My answer to that is, what's in the Bible? That's what we see happening. In Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 2, it reads like this, I, the Lord, was very angry with your ancestors, and he's speaking to the Jews, by the way. Therefore, say to this people, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. The Lord of Heaven's armies says, Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Turn from your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. Where are your ancestors now? Well, they're all dead. But everything I said through my servants, the prophets, happened to your ancestors just as I said it would. As a result, they repented and said, We have received what we deserve from the hand of the Lord of heaven's armies. He has done what he said he would do. Well, if we can believe that 
he did this to our ancestors, will he not do the same to us? Will he not do as he said he would do? Did he not say he would come back and set the world aright? Well, yes, he did. Later on, in verse 11, he says, The other writers reported to the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, We have been patrolling the earth, and the whole earth is at peace. Wow. It is coming. There will come a day when we will all be enjoying peace and security. Chapter 2, verse 10 of Zechariah and onwards reads like this. The Lord says, Shout and rejoice, O beautiful Jerusalem, for I am coming to live among you. This is God speaking. The Lord says this. I am coming to live among you. We're not going up there to be in heaven with him. No, he's in heaven. He's coming here to live with us. That's what he says right here. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day, and they too will be my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me to you. So Jesus is the one that God the Father sent to be with us, God with us, Emmanuel. The land of Judah will be the Lord's special possession in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem to be his own city. Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. That's the real only way to peace, is to live like God and to be like him. And he's going to come and rule the earth. Let's flip over to Zechariah 14 and verse 1. Watch, for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered in front of you. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. This is World War III he's describing here. The city will be taken and the houses looted, the women raped, half the population will be taken into captivity, and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mountain of Olives will be split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west, Half of the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. You will flee through this valley, for it will reach into Azal. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. On that day the sources of light will no longer shine, and there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day or night, for at evening time it will still be light. This is because it's powered by Jesus. On that day, life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea, 
and half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and his name alone will be worshipped. Dropping down to verse 16, In the end, the enemies of Jerusalem, who survived the plague, will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelters, or the Feast of Tabernacles, which I have done for over 25 years. Any nation in the world that refuses to come to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, will have no reign. If the people of Egypt refuse to attend the festival, the Lord will punish them with the same plague he sends on the other nations who refuse to go. Egypt and the other nations will all be punished if they don't go to celebrate the Feast of Shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen to what Malachi chapter 4 has to say. The Lord of Heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. Did you know that? They'll be burned up, not punished forever and ever. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all, it says right there. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On that day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. So remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. And basically, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments show how to love God and how to love your fellow man. What are they? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me, the one and only true God. Number two, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or in the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God and will not tolerate your affection for other gods. Number three, and this is, by the way, found in Exodus 20 and verse 7, you must not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth command is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Number five starts how to love your fellow man. Honor your father and mother. Number six, you must not murder. Number seven, you must not commit adultery. Number eight, you must not steal. Number nine, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. And number 10, you must not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Jesus, in his parables, what did he talk about there? Well, there's all kinds of parables. There's about 30 different parables in there. And what do they all say? About the same thing. 
After all, he is the king that is coming in his kingdom. Let's see if I can find an example. How about Matthew 20? For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock, he went out again and saw people standing around. Why haven't you been working, he asked them. They replied, because no one's hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them beginning with the last worker first. When those who were hired at five o'clock were paid, each one received a full day's wages. So when the first came, they thought they would get more. They, too, were paid only a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my own money? Should you be envious because I am kind to others? Verse 16, So those who are last now will be first then and those who are first will be last. All of Jesus' parables really are talking about the kingdom of God. Then he will sit upon the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. So you can go to my website, itellwhy.com. I have nothing for sale. I'm not trying to get your email or anything from you. So until next time, I'm Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Have a great day.